Welcome to episode 304 of Live Happy Now. What's so great about doing good? This week, we're going to find out. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and it's no secret that doing good for others is also good for us. But have you ever thought about why exactly doing good is so powerful? This week, I'm joined by Megan McDonough, CEO and founder of the Whole Being Institute and author of four books on mindfulness. Megan is an expert in the science of human flourishing, and she's here to tell us what doing good does for us and how we can find what she calls the spark of yes. Megan, welcome back to Live Happy Now. It is my pleasure to be here with you again, Paula. It has been too long since we talked. Yes, and even longer since we've looked each other in the eye. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what kept that from happening. (laughs) (laughs) But as you know, you and I have talked about, we always celebrate the month of March and the International Day of Happiness. And this year, we're, we're looking at different themes each week. And for this week, we really wanted to talk about the value of doing good. And of course, this is something that you are an expert in. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and where you come from on that? That's so funny. I've never heard anyone describe me as an expert in doing good. (laughs) (laughs) There are worse ways to be described. I like that. I might even actually add that to my LinkedIn profile. So, you know, when I think about really how I want to live my life, It's this all in of not only living a life good for myself, but also making the place around me better. And when you look at the organization I created, Whole Being Institute, along with Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar, the main premise of the Whole Being Institute is how do we teach the skills of human thriving? Because let's face it, this one precious life goes by way too fast. So rather than wasting time to try and figure out how to live well, how to do good, how to help the self and others, we might as well look to what the research says, what the scientists are studying, and try that. Yeah, they seem to know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to some extent, right? I mean, the worst that can happen because research is the law of averages is that that, that one particular intervention may not work for us, in which case we can choose something else. But let us, instead of trying to figure out with an N of one, let's look to what the studies say, give it a try for ourselves. And then what we always say at Whole Being Institute is it's not just about taking it in and learning it, it's actually about living it. And then once you learn it and live it, the question then becomes, how do you serve the work forward, right? Because it can't stay in the ecosystem of just one person. So the question I always ask the students when we come to the end of programs is, okay, now what are you doing? (laughs) How are you going to go out and, and help not only yourself, but others? And maybe that's where the expert of doing good comes in, although I would not give myself that same title. I thank you for giving me that title. (laughs) Because that is always like a challenge to others. All right, now what? What's next? Like when you talk about that spark that wants to serve, you talk about Mm -hmm. needing to notice that. Can you kind of explain how you notice that spark and how you know that's what it is? And sometimes I want to ignore that spark. because (laughs) Go to sleep, sparks. (laughs) You know, I, I was thinking, Paula, as we first got into this and realized that the happiness day is in March, that March is actually... I use the word anniversary, but maybe that's the wrong term. But it's been a year since COVID has started, Mm -hmm. right? And I guess I'll answer your question about the spark by telling a story of a year ago. 
this month. If you recall, a year ago this month, New York City was in the crosshairs of COVID first. Remember that? Oh, yeah. This was the time where I was saying to my son, gosh, is this really this serious? People are talking about wearing masks. Do we need to wear masks? I mean, really, when I think about what the conversations look like back in March, I thought, oh, maybe a month, maybe a few weeks. But when it first started, I think we're all caught a little unaware of this major upheaval that this year would bring about. And when this first started a year ago, I got a call from one of the faculty at Holbein Institute. Her name is Phoebe Atkinson, and she lived in ground zero of New York City, where COVID was hitting the hardest. And the question that she asked me is, what can we do to help? People in New York are scared. They're closing down. Now, the rest of the country wasn't really that affected. Right. But New York City at the time was shuttering its doors, closing down. And here I am thinking, okay, she wants help. What can Whole Being Institute do? Now, like other organizations, I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I have to reformat all of my on-site programs. I have to redo a whole bunch of stuff. I have to reconfigure how we're doing our work. It would have been very easy for me to say to her, oh, well, I understand New York needs help. I need my own help. And I'll be- <laughs> I got stuff to do now. <laughs> that was the spark for me. Like for me, I wanted to serve, right? And I had a vehicle to do so through Whole Being Institute. So that spark has to involve a yes, right? So that was my yes. But Phoebe's yes was, okay, if we're going to do something, I'm going to be the catalyst by asking you. And I'm also going to ask, Carolyn Collis, who is the director at the Marlene Mason JCC in Manhattan, which serves 100,000 people in New York. They had to close their doors. What was a thriving community all of a sudden was completely disconnected because they didn't have online learning. So Phoebe connected me to Caroline, and the three of us said, yes, we're going to provide programming for the entire JCC community, five days a week, to help give them the tools and resources to understand how to navigate a challenge. We had people like Barbara Fredrickson on. We had the experts of the alumni in Whole Being Institute on. And our yes was serving. So that, that's what I, when I say the spark of service, isn't there something in every day that you look to help and serve, even if it's a small kindness, like opening the door for someone, or a big yes, like opening up the doors of your online learning for an organization that didn't have any infrastructure to do that, to say yes to help out. So that's what I mean about the spark. That spark has to be followed by a yes of action because we can have the spark, but sparks don't change much, do they? Other than having a little source of inspiration. Does that make sense? It does, because I think we've all had those passing thoughts that we didn't act on where it's like, ah, I should do that. And then you go back to what you're doing. That's that total difference when you get that spark and instead of setting it aside. It's like, yeah, I I really have to make good on this. And one of the interesting things, Paul, and you and I were chatting about this before we officially began the podcast is hasn't COVID, along with all the dark stuff and deaths it's caused, hasn't COVID given us opportunities to say yes to things that we normally would not say yes to? Oh, absolutely. 
And I was thinking about this because, you know, Phoebe had asked me before to connect with Caroline. And I'm like, yeah, okay, we'll get around to it sooner or later. (laughs) (laughs) It'll happen, but I'm busy, right? COVID, for some reason, because we're isolated, because we're doing things differently, because the whole world is like this, it gives us this sort of blank canvas to say yes to things. So I think sometimes when we think about saying yes, in our mind's eye, we think it has to be something big, giving out food for those families that are in need, helping the homeless, flying to Kenya and doing whatever those sort of big things are in our mind. And we forget, oh my goodness, when I woke up this morning, my act of kindness was being patient with my sixth grader who's having trouble socializing since he's been isolated from school. There are so many different ways in which we are kind to others and serve others. Part of it gets in the way because we think we have this preconceived notion about what acts of kindness look like or what acts of service look like. But what if your day was full of that already and you just missed how you were serving the greater good just by playing the role that you're playing now? I think that's really important for people to realize Because I think people, there are some people who feel guilty that they're not out there volunteering. But when you look at what they're doing, when would you? (laughs) You have to sleep sometime, you know. And and I think the other thing, yeah, the the other thing is our capacity during this time. Have you noticed the times? I know I have. I'm actually shorter than I usually am. That the stress of COVID, sort of maybe an irritability, Mm -hmm. more demands. That our capacity when we're dealing with something as huge as COVID, the ways in which it has impacted the way we live our normal everyday life, to be compassionate with ourselves about what we're actually managing and handling and be able to understand, does my capacity in this moment equal the stress that I'm feeling? Because if your stress is really high and your capacity is really low, the best thing you might want to do for yourself is go take a nap. But if your capacity is higher, even though the stress is higher, maybe then you can say yes to the other ways of serving and doing good outside of your own home. That's good. Have you seen during this time of COVID, during this past year, do people have an increased desire or need to do good for others? What have you seen in that area? Yeah, I had Barbara Fredericks and I interviewed her for some of the work we were doing at JCC. And I was saying to her that some points that the word positivity doesn't resonate as much when we're actually thinking about the heaviness of the pandemic and how do we think about Mm. that. So it really depends person to person what their individual circumstances are about the levels of stress that they're feeling, what COVID has brought into their lives. Because if you're two working parents with two young kids who are doing homeschooling and all all of you are trying to live and work, maybe, you know, that's a higher level of stress than someone who is used to, like, I'm used to working at home. I always work at home. My kids are older. They're 21 and 25. So it's a little different amount. So in many ways, it's easier for me to say yes to certain outside things than others. But how can we be compassionate to ourselves when we're feeling irritable because of the situation at hand and recognize if there's a mismatch between the level of stress we're feeling and our capacity to do more? Cut yourself a break and you actually have to measure your own capacity in every given moment. You know, I really love the work of Barbara Fredrickson's mindfulness to meaning theory, where during any given day, good things happen, 
and things that you deem not good, the positive and negatives of everyday life. And what our mind does is it creates a narrative or a story around that. So for example, when COVID hit, I could have easily connected the dots. Oh my goodness, Whole Being Institute has to cancel some on-site work. We won't have this summit that we usually have. People won't be in person for the immersions. Oh my goodness, how am I going to do that? That mindfulness to meaning story of putting together the story of my day in that way would have been very much more stressful than saying, okay, all those things are happening. And Phoebe's introduced me to someone at JCC. There's an opportunity to give back. We have the capacity to do that now. I feel like that's the right direction. And all of a sudden, the circumstance of COVID hasn't changed. But the story in that being paying attention to what's happening now and what's being called forth has shifted for us. I like how you frame that. For people who are listening, who are feeling a little overwhelmed, how can they look at what good they're already doing? Yeah, and I think too, when we look at the glass, sometimes it feels, whether you look at it half empty or half full, kind of misses the point that in either case, whether we're looking at a story optimistically or pessimistically, that the glass can be refilled. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And when it comes to our own capacity, there are things that we can do to refill our glass of capacity for doing good for others, for doing good for ourselves. And, you know, I think one of the things that happens when we go to do good is that we feel a time pressure. Well, there was this famous study done about people who in seminary school who were going across campus. The researchers' instructions to these two groups was to go across campus and preach the sermon of the Good Samaritan. Now, lo and behold, these people didn't know it, but they were coming across someone in obvious need on their way to preach this sermon. So the question becomes, would the person who was going to preach the parable of the Good Samaritan actually stop and help the person in obvious needs (laughs) on their way across campus? Is this too funny? The only difference between the two groups is in one group, they were told, you have plenty of time, take your time getting over there. The other group was told, time is really short, they're already waiting for you, get over there because you have to go preach that sermon of the Good Samaritan. As I bet you and your listeners would guess. (laughs) We know how this happened. (laughs) Those people who felt a time pressure like immediately you need to get over there and teach it, did not help. the. Per- they even went insofar as stepping over, they had to walk over the person in obvious need. Whereas those people who felt more time abundance were more likely to stop and help. So this, we actually don't need a research study to tell us this, right? If you feel like you're having an intense time pressure, Are you likely to stop and help? Or are you likely to say, I've got my own things going on. I've got to go attend to other things. So time is one of those things that warps our perception of how to answer that spark of yes. Like I bet even when people were saying, I can't help this person, the spark lifted up that you wanted to help. 
but you mm-hmm. had something else to do, right? So you kind of time pressure squelches that desire to want to help others. Now, this again isn't to make you feel guilty that you know, this is going to be called the guilt pull, episode. No. Right, maybe you pull over someone else and have them help out while you go over to preach your sermon. It is to say, though, in what ways are we creating so much time constriction in our life that we don't have the freedom to help others as we would have liked? And as we look at that and we say, I don't have enough time in my day, how do we change that? When Sonia Lubomirsky looked at random acts of kindness, for example, she found that doing five random acts of kindness on one day versus doing one random act of kindness every single day held the greatest benefit. So it's not like we have to go over the top to be of service or to help or to think about is every single moment of my day doing good for others. That's exhausting. Yeah, that'd be a little rough. But I think it is reasonable to say, hey, you know, I'm going to focus today, Tuesdays on random act of kindness days and and open a door for someone or look someone in the eye and say thank you or really appreciate the teacher on Zoom or whatever it is that you're doing in that day to actually focus on that being your day of random act of kindness. You know, I also like what Adam Grant says in his, his book, Give and Take, that doesn't feel like you have to give to everybody. You might have to set up a level of who's the most important I'm giving to in this moment. Mm-hmm. For family might be at the very top of that list, right? That you're serving and giving to your family. Or if, for example, in Whole Being Institute, my priority on faculty, for example, are people who have gone through the Whole Being Institute courses versus a whole world of people maybe contacting and saying, can I do this or can I do that? My main focus and response is on the Whole Being Institute alumni, right? Right. So there's a way in which you're thinking about either causes that are aligned with your values that feel near and dear to your heart or are closest to you relationship-wise, whether that's your family, your community, your area of interest, that you're serving. As much as the spark of yes might be shooting like fireworks in you every day, there is a limit called 24 hours in a day. So you will, by necessity, have to make choices. So the question is not, do you ever say no? The question is, how do you determine what you're saying yes to? Yeah. And that's something people can be more conscious about, I guess, like really think about what's important to me. And these are the things that I want to do to make my mark, to make the world a better place. So if people are listening and they're like, okay, I got to do something. I want to volunteer, but I'm not really ready to get out there. What are some things that people can do? Very simple things that they can do to start air quote, doing good every day. Well, I mean, and and again, doing good, there could be random acts of kindness one day out of every week versus every single day. It could be doing things like giving blood, donating blood. It can be paying for the person behind you's coffee as you go through the drive-through. It could be asking what is needed in my community. For example, in my community, there have been people who have been sending emails and touching base with the senior citizens to make sure that they know where to get their COVID vaccines. There is no limit to how we think about doing good. The question is, is where is the yes sparking for you? So it's a very personal thing. 
I think so. The research has found that too, is that when it becomes prescribed doing good, it's not nearly as impactful as that natural spark of doing good. Varying it up is helpful. Instead of doing the same thing every single day, you might choose to try different things. You know, helping out the soup kitchen one day in the following week, volunteering to tutor someone on Zoom. And that someone could be your, your child if need be. So there are many different ways of doing good. And I love what Sonia Lubomirsky says about when we're doing these acts of kindness and doing good, that this helps our own happiness because being kind feels good. Not when it's forced, not when you're trying to be good, but when you have that natural spark of yes and you want to help, that doesn't that feel good? It's the difference between your mom telling you to write grandma thank you letter yes. and you saying, I'm going to write grandma thank you letter. Yes, I love that. that. And that not only feels good, but it also strengthens the bond of relationships. And we know that relationships are the number one predictor of well-being. So when you do these acts of kindness, it strengthens relationships. And it also, you know, is good for your health. There are certain genes that turn on and off when you're being kind or doing good works. And this tends to build a stronger immune system, which is, I guess, good in times of COVID. Exactly. We all want that. And listen, if you're trying out to be more popular, when you're kind, you become the kind of person that people want to hang out with, right? It, mm -hmm. again, strengthens the bond and increases your social connections when you're doing kind things. So if someone's sitting here and says, okay, I'm going to, I want to do something. I'm not sure what it is. How do we sit with ourselves and determine what that is that's going to be right for us? You know what's so exciting about that question, Paula? What? is that I wonder what would happen if we didn't try and figure it out, but allowed ourselves to be open today to see where kindness was needed. I like that. I oh, like that yes. The definition of mindfulness from Bishop is the self-regulation of attention with an attitude of curiosity, openness, and acceptance. So sometimes I think this idea of being kind isn't so much about figuring out what do I need to do, but to have an attitude of openness so that you can recognize when your help is needed. That's wise. That's very wise. So we can all go out into the world today and just be open and be aware that more good, more kindness is needed and that, that it will present itself. Mm. And I must say, I want to thank you for your kindness, because every time we meet, you bring a smile to my face. And I'm appreciative of the work that you're doing to help others and to have conversations like this that enliven and engage. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on again. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. One day we'll do this face to face again. But um, until then, I'd like to just thank you for all the good that you're doing. Thank you, Paul. It's my pleasure. That was Megan McDonough, CEO and founder of the Whole Bean Institute. If you'd like to learn more about Megan, the Whole Bean Institute, her books, or follow her on social media, just visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. As you might already know, the International Day of Happiness is this Saturday, March 20th, and we're celebrating with a whole month of what we call Happy Acts. 
As part of that, we're inviting all our listeners to participate in the 10-Day Live Happy Gratitude Challenge. To be part of this, just take a few minutes to express your gratitude on your social media platform to a different person every day for 10 days. Every time you tag a person and explain why you're grateful for them, invite them to participate in the Gratitude Challenge too. Be sure to use the hashtags LiveHappy and GratitudeChallenge and include a photo or even a short video. In addition to enjoying all the benefits that gratitude brings you, you can also win some great Live Happy prizes. Learn more about this at LiveHappy.com or on our Live Happy Facebook page. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.